Thank you for tuning in to Avant Life's weekly podcast. We hope this message inspires you, stirs your faith, and leaves you blessed. Hey, we're starting a new series here today. It's going to go for eight weeks. It's called Here I Am, Send Me. I'm excited for this series, and I know a lot of you say, well, Pastor Ben, you say that every time. Well, I'm genuinely excited because the reason I get excited is because this is what God is saying to us as a church. I mean, he's saying it to all of us. If you call Avant Life Church home, or maybe you stumbled upon our, you know, our online content, and you're like, oh, wow, well, now he's talking to you too. It's not out of mistake, it's, it's divine, it's purposed. Um, and we're starting this series, Here Am I, Send Me. And, and, and the tension in this discussion really has to do with the fact that we're all called to be, to be these powerhouses of, of the message of Christ here on earth. We're all called to evangelize for Him. Uh, and I know you've probably been in many church services, like, you're called, go do it, get it done. And, and you get up and you leave and then you go home and you sit and you wonder and you think, how am I equipped and then you think, well, what's my calling? And then if, if you're like any, any other human being, you have all these insecurities. Like, and you're like, well, how, does this, how do I outwork all of this? I haven't dealt with my own mess. And what happens is, is that it's really inspiring on Sunday, and we have this call to action, but we don't do anything. And so what we're going to do over the next eight weeks is we're going to discuss, here am I, send me. So let's, before we get to the send me part, and, and don't get me wrong, you don't have to wait till week eight before you start evangelizing. But we're going, to take, uh, we're going to take our time and discuss, well, here am I. Let's deal with the us part, the us component. Let's deal with all the misconceptions. Let's deal with our emotional and spiritual health. Let's discuss this a little. So when we get to the point of saying, send me, we identify who we are to say, here am I. And so that's exciting, right? Because we're going to be talking about the calling of God, the response to that call in our lives, and the Great Commission. They all go hand in hand. So my hope is for us as a family of believers, as the bride follows of Jesus, my hope is that we don't lose sight of the call of God and the pursuit of the call on our lives. And there's a difference. We're going to figure it out today. The call and the commission is a progression. It is done in that order. The call of God and the commission on our lives is done in that order. The call of God empowers. It reveals. Right? It anoints. It's the one that promotes the commissioning. And so as we go through this text, and it's going to be our, our core text, it's Isaiah 6, 1 to 8, and we've got some great preachers coming up across the eight weeks, starting with himself. Um, I know it's going to bless you, and I know God's speaking in, through, in and through our leadership. This is a word in season. I know every word is in season, but right now what the world needs most is those who understand who they are in Christ and the hope that they carry and the great, the great ambassadors we're called to be. So let me read this for you. It's Isaiah 6, 1, 8. It says, In the year of the king Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were the seraphim, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces. With two they covered their feet. And with the other two they were flying, and they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voices... The doorposts and the thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me, I cried. I am ruined. This is Isaiah. For I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among people of unclean lips. My eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Then one of the seraphim flew with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. With it, he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt has taken away. Your sins are atoned for. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Who shall I send? 
who will go for us? And I said, here am I, send me. Lord, we just thank you for your word right now. We thank you for the opportunity and the privilege and the great delight we have to read it, to allow it to transform our lives, direct, guide, counsel, comfort, Lord. Father, we ask as we go through this message right now that you would speak to us. You convict us and motivate us into all that you've asked our lives to be. In Jesus' name, amen. Today, I really want to deal with the concept of the call of God. See, the call of God is a powerful thing. It's super powerful. Super, super powerful. Just said it a few times. This is what I want to get. Lots of pastors would agree with me, right? And this is one of the most, like, if you've done youth ministry, this is going to be like nine out of ten conversations you have with a young person. Right? So, Pastor, I don't know the call of God in my life. I don't know what he's called me to. Oh, it's just... Or you get the other ones, like, God, Pastor, Pastor, I know God's call. It's a powerful call. I've got a powerful calling. It's going to be great. And the reason I bring it up is that there, there is, it's, it's almost like a nuance, it's almost the slightest shift, but it, it is a selfish thought, right? Because what we're doing is, is we're taking this, this powerful call of God and we're wondering how we can use it for our own benefit, even though we use the right language to make it sound that our heart is for the gospel, for the expansion of the kingdom. We are all for that. I get it. And I'm gonna t- I'll be honest with you. I was young once too. still pretty young. 34 this week. You can send presents to 4840. Uh, Capilano. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I was young once where, where you're so, you are passionate for God. You do love God. But you're still thinking, what am I going to do? What am I going to achieve? How am I going to look? Am I going to be the next big preacher? Do I have it, what it takes to lead worship? No, I don't. But today, I, wanna, I, wanna, I just want to divide a little bit. I want to remove that individual sort of subjective concept of the call of God and, and, and educate us a little about what the call of God actually is. See, I'm speaking about the voice of the nature of God. We see here that in verse 8, it's written, Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? Who will go for us? That great relationship at the center of the universe. And I said, Here am I, send me. See, when we speak of a call, we nearly always leave out one essential feature. And I mean, honestly, we all do this. It's the nature of the one who calls. So I've got a calling on my life. But it's all about me. It's not about the nature of the one calling. It's interesting because we speak of the call of the sea, the call to the mountains, the call of the wild. Pastor Jason goes hunting. And we just we had this lovely trip out to um, to a pastor's retreat this week at Malibu Lodge. It's beautiful, but we're on the boat. I kid you not, Pastor Jay is like, I wonder if I'm going to see a bear just on the water's edge. You know, it doesn't take you much time with him before you realize there's it's, there's this deep call to the wild. He wants to be out there. He wants to hunt for conservation reasons. <laughs> But 
Right? These calls are heard by a few only because the call is the expression of the nature from which the call comes. And it can only be heard by those who are attuned to that nature. So those who say, I'm called, uh, I can hear the call of the sea, chances are they do a lot of time on the ocean. You didn't hear some guy in the desert be like, oh man, the call of the sea is calling me. That doesn't happen, it might, but it doesn't really. Do, do you get what I'm saying? Like, like the call of the mountains when you live in Australia is a ridiculous idea. There's no mountains there, it's just hills. Hello. See, there's a, you're, you're attuned to that particular nature. That's why you can hear the call. You're attuned to it. The call of God is essentially expressive of the nature of God. It's his own voice. We see Paul the Apostle write, God commands his own love towards us. This love is exactly expressive of his nature. It's exactly expressive. of. We apply that to the call of God. See, the few of, very few of us hear the call of God because we're not in a place to answer. This is the hardest part. I'm going to be honest with you. It's the hardest part to digest. You've got to put some pride down. The call does not communicate because we have not the nature of the one who calls. This is what I'm trying to explain to you. See, when we hear that concept, Pastor Ben, I don't know what the call of God on my life is. It's because you're still not in tune to the nature of the one who's calling. Now, I know that's really hard to swallow. Oh, man, Pastor Ben, I'm such a good guy. I go, to I go to church on Sunday. I do this, I do that. It's not in the application. Church is not God. Coming in, too many times, I found myself in church and, and I'm being moved by music. I haven't focused and I haven't attuned my heart to the nature of God. I'm here because that's what I do on Sunday. I'm here because, you know, this is my routine. This is my tradition. It's my social avenue. And we can find ourselves in these positions. And then we, we, we have these glimpses of what God wants to do in our lives, right? But then it gets quickly out of focus because we, we all of a sudden pollute it with what we want, with what our nature is. And we get confused between God's calling that's produced from his nature and our desires produced from our nature. And so too many times, and you know this is true, we spend so much time trying to fit God's calling into our nature, not fitting our calling into God's nature. For the first few weeks of this series, we're going to talk about that painful reality. But I'm here to give you good news. It's not that God doesn't speak or that he doesn't care, or that he's upset with you at all. We serve a good God. The most encouraging thing you may hear this whole sermon is this. It's not that God is silent. It's simply because you're spiritually deaf. It's a good thing. It applies to all of us. It's not that God's silent. It's just we're spiritually deaf. And the best part of this news is we serve a God that loves to heal the spiritually deaf, the spiritually blind, the spiritually mute. And all the physical attributes that can come with that. I'm going to focus in on a particular king in the Bible that I think represents that tension between our nature versus God's nature. Our call, well, I'd prefer to use the word our commission versus God's call. And so I've, this next point I've called a Saul for all. We're going to look at King Saul. It rhymed. It felt good. 
Saul for all. 1 Samuel 9 introduces us to Saul. He's still living and working with his father and the household. By 1 Samuel 9.21, we see that you know, it starts to describe who Saul is. And, and more importantly, it gives us a glimpse of how Saul sees himself because he says he's from the smallest tribe of Israel and out of that he's the least of those. He's a part of the clan which is the least of those. Physically, he was a handsome young man. More handsome than anyone else you could find anywhere. <laughs> Head taller than everyone else. Just saying, Henry. Just saying, mate. It's all for all. See, unknown to him, the Israelites had been asking God for a human king, and there's a whole bunch of issues with this that we don't have time to go into. But they're looking at other nations, and they're seeing that they have a human king. And so they come and then they talk to Samuel. They're like, Samuel, your sons are useless. That's pretty much what they say, right? You got, your sons are useless. Who's going to lead us when you're gone? We want a king. So Samuel takes this to the Lord, and the Lord answers Samuel in 1 Samuel 8. He says, now listen to them. But warn them solemnly and let them know that what the king, so the king who will reign over them will, uh, will claim, I'll start again. But warn them solemnly that let them know that what the king who will reign over them will claim as his rights, what he's going to take from them. So Solomon speaks to the people how the king will take their sons to be warriors to die in wars and their daughters to be workers in the royal household. The king will take the choice crops and livestock from them for himself, and he will make them slaves. Still the Israelites demand to have a king. God relents, and he chooses Saul. Isn't this an interesting thought, right? Where, And I just want to stop here how we want to determine who is king based on what we see around us what we desire to be like. So when we come to God and we ask for things, in many ways we're asking him to to put in our life another king. And see, God relents. He's He's a God that will let us learn a lesson. Right? And so maybe you found yourself so often in life and you're still stuck here wondering what your calling is because you're asking God what my calling is, what's my calling, but really you know what you want. And you know what king you want planted in the throne above your life. And what you're, wanting it to do, what you're wanting to do is to be able to say it's Jesus, but really it's a fake king. It's, 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 it's a usurper that you've asked to be in there. And I love the description because here God says, warn them. If you put a king in based on what you want, the reason you want a king there, what's going to happen? You're going to lose your sons. You're going to lose your daughters. The best things that you have to sustain you are going to go to him. Wow. This is what he's telling the people. He's going to make you slaves. See, we reject the nature of God because Israel should have been happy. We should be happy that God reigns over our life. But we're, we're constantly wanting these earthly tangibles to find heavenly responsibilities. We're not, we're not satisfied 
with the grace that's sufficient. We're not satisfied with the mercies that are new every morning. We're not satisfied with a God that is described as faithful, trustworthy, our provider, our protector, our healer. It's not okay. God, you need to give me what I want and I want to call it my calling so that everyone else will believe that it's of you. We see that Saul reigns for 42 years. Much of this time, Israel's at war with other countries like Moab and Edom and Amalek. Saul and his son, Jonathan, they're very good at war. They're very successful. See, Saul's authority of Israel, if you read it, lays mostly in his military. He's pumped about the military and the realm of war. Why is that? Because he's good at it. Like his description of a human being is that he would destroy people. But there's an interesting dynamic that takes place here. He focuses what he's good at. He pours all his time into that, that he neglects the eternal affairs of the heart and faith. He creates this image of success in what he's good at, even though inside he's decayed. Inside, he's not in line with the nature of the one that called him and anointed him and appointed him in the first place. In fact, Saul shows disobedience towards God publicly at least two times. He offered up a burnt, uh, sorry, he, he offered up burnt and fellowship offerings on the battlefield when he was supposed to wait for the prophet Saul to do the ritual. So you can read about that in 1 Samuel 13. Number two, he refused to destroy Amalek as God commanded him to, 1 Samuel 15. And you might think, well, they're just bad decisions. They make bad decisions. There's consequences to this because these wrong decisions led to a fracture in Saul's relationship with the Lord and the, and the Lord's representative in Samuel. It's interesting, and this is what I find so funny. It's probably not as funny. That's just a, it's just a phrase anyway. It's not funny at all. For some of you, you're like, Pastor Ben, this is not funny. This is my life. Isn't it interesting when Saul's relationship with the Lord is fractured, he needs music to soothe him? Isn't that an interesting thought? He needs music to soothe him. Do you know what this tells me? This tells me that the church can be filled with fractured individuals, disconnected out of their own disobedience from God, who come not to worship him, but to find a soothing balm to their disobedient hearts in our worship services. That's terrifying, isn't it? And can I be honest with you? I've been there. I've been there, right? Where you've come to deal with your guilt through this charade. Saul's no, he's a Saul for all, isn't he? He brings David into the courts to help with this. He trusts David, then he gets jealous of David. He eventually tries to kill David. He's fractured, he's fallen apart. There are consequences to this posture. See, Saul's acts of disobedience causes the Lord to take his kingship away, his legacy. Samuel tells him, because it's your foolish choices, Saul, that you're going to be replaced on the throne. Another consequence is in his final days, he just spends most of it obsessive, hunting down David. Manic, destructive behavior. No focus anymore. Complete loss of reality. 
As the Philistines mount new attacks on the nation, Saul desperately orders a divineer to call up the ghost of Samuel. He's now rejected God altogether. Saul was told that the Israelite army would be defeated. Next day, we find that the words of Samuel come to pass. Saul and his son Jonathan were both killed during battle. This is the mighty reign of Saul for all, 42 years. There's some lessons I want us to learn before we go into this. I just want to step back and just remind you. The call of God, the voice of God is a representation of his very nature. Of his very nature. So when someone says, I hear the call of God, it's because their hearts are fixated. Their hearts are overwhelmed. Their spirit is undivided. Their attention is given completely to that pursuit of the nature of God. And so some people hear God and others don't hear God. It's not because he has favorites. It's because our heart conditions either render us deaf or or being able to hear. These are four lessons that I want us to take away from the rise and fall of King Saul that I do believe tie into our ability to know how we're commissioned through the call of God. Number one, God judges our hearts, not our outward appearance. 1 Samuel 16, 7, it says, The Lord does not look at things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. We see that Saul is judged because of his heart condition. The outward symptoms, they're symptomatic of an inward disease. Number two, God wants us to have confidence in him, not pride in ourselves. James 4, 6 says, that is why scripture says, God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. I love that one of our culture statements as a church is remain humble. This sort of reflects back on what I said before. When we're trying to figure out our calling, we approach it as if we're trying to pick our team in a sport. Do you know what I mean? And real sport diehard fans, you would know. You didn't pick your team. Your team picked you. It's true. Right? And you can think about it, but I know, like, I go for a team in Australia. It's an NRL team, Australian football, not AFL. And they're called the Roosters. I know it's not a masculine name. It's not scary at all, but the Roosters. The reason I go for the Roosters is because as a five-year-old turning six-year-old, I watched a game where one of the players who was playing was my neighbor's cousin. And that was all it took. It was this association, and it picked me. Now, no matter what that team goes through, highs and lows, I go for that team. I know a lot of you sporting fans would be the same. You know a fake sports fan when they're like, I've got about six teams, right? And so we approach our calling in almost the same way. We're trying to pick what teams suit us in what season. And I just don't think that that you're going to get through life safely with a a strong commission if if you keep chopping and changing who you support and why you support them. Got to set your heart and fix your eyes on Jesus. Like I said, he chose you. Saul let his position as king fill him up with this inflated sense of self-importance. And we see eventually it's assumed that he's qualified to take on the duties of a priest. That's why he's in trouble. 
is that he's so filled with pride of who he is. He assumes the role of the priest, the representation of God. Now, in a New Testament resurrection era that we're in right now, what does that look like for us? Well, really what that looks like is we get so self-absorbed in what we're doing in the kingdom, we no longer point people to Jesus. We try to become Jesus we, we try, and in unhealthy ways. Like, like you, I'm the one in charge. I'll give you, and, and that's why when you look for your calling, what you're really looking for is influence, right? Oh, Pastor Ben, I don't know what my influence should be based on my desire to what? Control. Number three, God calls us to follow his will, not our own. 1 Kings 2.23. So be strong. Act like a man. He could have ended there. (laughs) We could have preached about that for hours. (laughs) And observe what the Lord your God requires. Walk in what? Obedience to him. And keep his decrees, not our own, and his commands, his laws, his regulations, as it's written in the law of Moses. Do this that you may prosper in all that you do. It's his will, not our own. See, when you, and I know a lot of us, we should take more time to remember the first love, our first love, Jesus. When we take that opportunity to remember when we first encountered Jesus, what you felt wasn't, what can Jesus do for me? Instantly, what was it? It was a heart of surrender. Lord, what can I do for you? And we lose sight of that. And it becomes our will be done, not his will be done. Saul was chosen to be Israelite's earthly king. See, the Lord was still the highest authority for the nation. But Saul, unlike any other earthly king, was required to be the godly representation in morality, ethics, and behavior, a reflection of the coming Jesus. That's what the king of Israel had to do. But instead, he takes it upon himself not to be submissive and obedient, but to be in control. Number four, God calls us to follow his commands faithfully. And I love this, not selectively. Man, don't we serve a selective generation? Pick and choose what you want. See, I remember as a kid, if I pick something up and put it in the, the, what do you call it here? The shopping cart that we weren't meant to have or maybe we didn't have enough money to buy it. Mom said I had to go put it back. Who Who was raised that way? You weren't, were you, Jamie? Yeah, good. It's like, don't, don't embarrass your parents. You're raised that way, right? But how many of you remember, like, especially from our generations that are selective generations, the older you got when you weren't shopping with your parents, you picked something up you shouldn't have had, you didn't want it in the end, you got to the, the, the shopping, you know, the checkout, and you're like, I don't need this. How many of you had that internal battle between putting it back or just sticking it in the candy shelf. Right? Because we're so used to picking it up. I thought I wanted, don't want it, put it down. But never put it back where it belongs. And you wonder why your life is a mess. Why there's no order. I know it's like a, it's a simple illustration. But honestly, it, often things like that are very simple and mundane. Are a great reflection of someone's character and conviction. 
going to be honest with you. There's sometimes that I don't want to put it back. I'm not dodgy. I don't just put it down. I just ask the checkout lady if she can put it back, which is a good compromise, right? It's not selective. In Deuteronomy 28, 1-2, we say, If you fully obey the Lord your God and carefully follow all his commands I give you today, the Lord your God will set you high above all the nations on the earth. All these blessings will come on you and accompany you if you obey the Lord your God. Do you know what I love about reading Scripture? Is that the word obey and obedience and obedient is prevalent. It's everywhere. It's so obvious that I reckon if you just applied that one principle in your life, you'd be good. You'd be be good. Because why? Obedience leads to faith. Obedience leads to surrender. Obedience leads to sanctification, transformation. It leads to healing and restoration. It leads to resurrection. How do I know? Because the Bible says that Jesus was obedient even unto death. You're looking for something to be resurrected in your life today. Well, maybe we need to start at the call and nature of God, which requires obedience, not selective behavior. Well, I like what Jesus says about this, and he's good here. Well, I, don't, I can't change that a part of my That's part of my life. It's good. I enjoy that too much. But you're so blind to see that that type of behavior is actually messing. You are not as compartmentalized as you think you are. Saul was blessed with gifts such as confidence and passion, but pride, insecurity, impatience in certain moments led him to disregard what he knew was right. Oh, that's not our generation. I don't know what is. Pride, insecurity, and impatience. Then he tries to defend himself. He has like this self-righteous defense of himself. Because his heart wasn't fully given over to God. What do we see? And the consequences of what we see is he loses his position and he loses his favor. And eventually we see him lose his life. Circle all the way back to the start. And we've got eight weeks and I really do know that it's going to bless you. But church, right now, what I need you to think about is are you living a life where you're really behaving like Saul, right? You look outwardly like you got it all together, but inwardly you know and you know that you're only a few moments away, few days away, maybe weeks, months at the most from completely falling apart. Hey, the good news is right now, you don't have to stay there. See, I said this before, it's a progression. The call of God which is the nature of God, leads to our commission. It leads to our commission. And it's so important. We were never designed to be appointed in our own strength, to be commissioned into our own plans. One of the reasons, and I really do believe this, that we're so spiritually deaf is that we get the progression the wrong way around. We choose what, what we're really asking is, God, I want the commission, and in my commission, I will draw near to you. As if, as if God is, is in an economy where 
You have to work to get into a relationship with him. We might not realize this, but in that behavior, in that, if we, if we flip the progression the wrong way around and go commission leads to a moment with the nature of God, which leads to the call. If we do it that way around, what we're saying is it's by works, not by faith. The law, the law of the Old Testament tells us that we're ill-equipped in our own strength to achieve what God has called on our life. And we definitely can't achieve salvation. We can't get it right. See, we desperately approach God for answers to our questions and desires while disregarding to that, that moment to listen to the very call of God himself. We spend so much time talking about a specific calling, our specific calling, that we lose sight of the nature of the one that actually calls. I'm convinced like now more than ever as believers, we should fix our hearts, our minds and our spirit on the proximity to God. Our proximity to Him. Are we attuned so that we're positioned to hear the voice of His nature, the very call of God? His call leads to our commissioning which will always feed us, always protect us, always provide benefit, empower, resource us, and in doing so, step us into the Great Commission. Isaiah 6, 8, Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? Who will go for us? And I said, Here am I, send me. Do you know what I find really interesting? We're going to end on this. It's a joke. I still got one more note, but close. What I find really interesting about this is that this is written in a form of writing called a soliloquy. This is God speaking out loud His very nature. He's not talking to Isaiah directly, though He knows He's here. He's not, he's not putting a pressure on Isaiah at all. There is no compulsion in this conversation. Isaiah would feel like he's out of sight, like he's almost like Samwise Ganji, just listening to Gandalf. Do you get what I'm saying? Like he's not, he's not right in front and God's not talking. God's just speaking his very nature out there. And what I love is that Isaiah's proximity, the fact that his soul was attuned to God. He hears what God's saying. He hears the very call of God, which is, whom shall I send? Who will go for us? And I love this, not out of compulsion, not out of fear, not out of social pressure, but out of a love for God, he responds, here am I, send me. And for us as a church right now as we go back into a time of worship my excitement is this is that Isaiah's here am I send me is a call to action for all of us we should not be asking God what is our calling it should be God I'm so close to you I'm so attuned to what you're doing. I hear you. And you're speaking out loud. And your call is the same as it was yesterday and today and today and the days to come. What is your call? God's call is of redemption. 
God's call is of restoration. God's call is to His children to come home. This is God's call. He's not speaking it to you specifically in the way that makes you filled with pride as if you're the most important. What He's saying is He's speaking it out loud and because you're in His presence, because you've positioned yourself in a proximity close to Him in your prayer life, in your reading of the Scripture, right? In your transformation and asking the Holy Spirit to come fill you, anoint you. In all this process that we talk about day in, day out as Christians, you begin to realize it's not about us. It's about Jesus. It's about Jesus. And so when we say, here am I, send me, we're saying, I'll do whatever you need. It's no longer I'm called to this city right now. So when you hear that, God will open up everything that you need to hear. He won't just, you won't just hear, you know, who am I going to send instantly. When you have that heart position, you go, here, my send me. He'll be like, awesome. Because when you read beyond that, and we will in the, in the few weeks, we'll read beyond it. God acknowledges the, the response to his soliloquy, not a direct conversation, but a call out loud. God responds to, to Isaiah. And what does he do next? He commissions him. The commissioning didn't come first. Isaiah's proximity to the call of God came first and he heard God's heart and he says out of free will, here am I, send me. And because he responds so genuinely, so in love with God, God goes, I'm going to commission you to bring hope to my nation. You're going to speak and you're going to prophesy of the one who will come and pay the price for everyone, the ransom for everyone. You're going to speak to generations over gen- for thousands of years to come. People will reflect on your commissioning because you simply were in the right place because of your heart and you said here am I send me what can God do through you if you simply got away the Maserati or the desire to hold a house and you didn't use God for your own things trust me I want a Maserati and a house too and we just said simply God here am I send me this morning I know God wants you to hear this Matthew 4, 18, 20. While walking by the Sea of Galilee, Jesus saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. Here's the cool part. And he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they let their nets down and followed him. Do you know what I love about this image? And Pastor Emma's going to do a great job at unpacking this next week. Is that because of Jesus, that proximity issue where you're like, I don't know how. Can I tell you? Jesus is at your door right now knocking. He's at your seashore right now saying, follow me. He's calling out. He's the one that has, he's caused that proximity with God now to become instantly closer. You're at the table if you want to be at the table. You're in the courts of heaven if you simply surrender to Him. Follow me and I will make you. Not you will make you. Not the world will make you. Not your hurts, pains, rejections, words spoken over you by people who don't love you like He does. He says, I will make you fishers of men. I will commission you. Churches, we worship right now. Let's not worship like Saul worshipped. Let's worship understanding that worship is not about getting answers from God as priority, but simply being found in the very nature of our God. And in that, let His presence overwhelm you. Let His presence speak to you. And as He does, would you simply say this, here am I, send me. We hope you enjoyed this message. We would love you to subscribe to our weekly podcast. Other ways you can connect with Avon Life is through YouTube, Instagram, and Facebook. 
check out our website at avantlifechurch.com.